0: You are listening to the Already Gone podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. In May of 1990, 34 year old Paige Trenkowski vanished from along Interstate 96 near Fowlerville, Michigan. She'd been in the Detroit area earlier in the day to drive her mother, Artis, to the airport dropping her off just before noon. Paige stopped off to visit a friend, then she was seen in a party store around 2.30 p.m. on Ford Road in Canton. The clerk at the party store remembered Paige because they asked about the distinctive necklace she wore. From there, Paige likely traveled north on Interstate 275, then headed west on Interstate 96, heading away from the Detroit area toward Lansing. Multiple drivers later reported seeing Paige in her vehicle on I-96, but no one can explain why her car, an Oldsmobile Cutlass Calais, was left on the side of the freeway, still running, with her purse and shoes inside. The mystery of what became of the tall, slender blonde with the wide smile is a popular topic of discussion on message boards, but her disappearance remains a mystery. Her mother. Artist Ronkoski became a tireless advocate for families impacted by crime. Artist passed away in 2017, without ever learning the truth about what became of her beloved daughter. As I said, the Ronkoski case is a favorite of online discussion boards, and her story is shared in the paper almost every year around the anniversary of her disappearance. We are fascinated by her story, But Paige wasn't the only person to vanish under mysterious circumstances that spring. Just a month before she disappeared, there was another case, this one involving a teenage boy from the Lansing area. Christopher Temple was the oldest of John and Tani Temple's three children. In April of 1990, he was a senior in high school. Chris, as he was known to his friends, had a good relationship with his parents, and his father stated that Chris knew that if he needed his folks, he could call them and they would be there for him. While Chris didn't always get along well with his mother and sister, it was a loving family and they looked out for each other. On April twenty-second, Earth Day, Chris attended festivities with his friends in Lansing at Riverfront Park. As the event wound down, they weren't done having fun or hanging out, so the group of young men headed for Rose Lake Wildlife Area. The boys brought their guitars, built a bonfire, drank some beer, and may have smoked some pot. What started as a casual gathering of friends ended in tragedy when Christopher Temple, either by choice or by force, was separated from the group, never to be seen again. Come with me to a Sunday in April of 1990, to the Rose Lake Wildlife Area, where one young man walked away from his friends and created an enduring mystery. While the two disappeared about a month apart from areas near Lansing, in a strange coincidence, both Chris Temple and Paige Renkowski were in an Oldsmobile Cutlass Calais prior to their disappearance. Chris spent much of Saturday, April 22nd at an Earth Day celebration at Riverfront Park in Lansing. While there, he met up with friends. Once the Earth Day events wrapped up, they decided to buy some pot and have their own Earth Day celebration at the Rose Lake Wildlife Area. They stopped by someone's apartment to pick up a baggie of dope, hit the party store for snacks and sodas, then drove out to the wildlife area where they built a bonfire. In the car that night were Alan, Nate, Matt, Justin, and Chris. Alan was the oldest of the group in his mid-twenties, and he was driving. I'm going to pause here, because in previous episodes I've talked about party stores, but I didn't share that this is a uniquely Michigan term. A party store is very similar to the convenience store you might find attached to a fueling station, but in addition to selling chips, candy, snacks pop, and some household items, they also sell beer, wine, liquor, lottery tickets, and tobacco products. They often also sell some sort of prepared food item, such as deli sandwiches or pizza. In this instance, the party store in question was the 7-Eleven on Hazlitt Road, and the boys bought marshmallows, which were perfect for roasting over their campfire. Alan drove his car, the old Cutlass Calais, to a parking lot off of Stoll Road, just east of the Rose Lake Research Center offices. The group arrived at the Rose Lake Research Area around 7 p.m. that evening. It was still light out, and they used the daylight to gather wood for a campfire. Since it was Earth Day, the boys made a point of making the fire in a safe location and not building it too big. Now, we're not judging anyone if they participated in drug use that night but it's thought that they had purchased pot and that a joint was passed around the campfire. There was also mention of a bottle of tequila, and one of the young men present said that Chris had his own six-pack of beer. Since one of the young men brought his guitar, they played music, with Matt and Nate taking turns on guitar. Sometimes the guys sang along as they roasted marshmallows. It was quiet out there, and they seemed to have the place to themselves. In 1990, the Rose Lake Research Center was a 4,000-acre wildlife area with some research facilities likely tied to nearby Michigan State University. Today, Rose Lake is the same size, but it's a Department of Natural Resources-controlled area, often used for hunting, fishing, and other outdoor recreation, with the research part of the property much smaller than it was 30-some years ago. Going forward, i will refer to the rose lake research center simply as rose lake not to be confused with the actual rose lake that's inside the wildlife area after being quiet and keeping to himself for much of the evening chris temple stood up perhaps mumbled something quietly and left the area walking north away from the campfire toward a two-track that branched off in a southeast direction if you aren't familiar with the term a two-track is a wide trail that cuts through a wooded area. The guys he was with did not give his departure much thought. If he was leaving to urinate or to vomit, well, he needed his privacy. But when Chris didn't return within 15 minutes, they took notice. This went down about 9 p.m. Matt and Justin walked up the trail toward the two-track where Chris was last seen. They called his name and searched for him. After more than 30 minutes of looking and calling his name, they returned to the campsite. The lessons learned from the Earth Day event stuck with the group, and they carefully extinguished the campfire. Justin said, hey, I've got to be home by 10 o'clock or I'm going to be in trouble with my parents. So the four remaining guys, Nate, Justin, Alan, and Matt headed out. After dropping off Justin and then Matt, Nate and Alan stopped by Nate's house to pick up flashlights and warmer coats. They returned to the area around midnight for another search near where they'd held the campfire, but they couldn't find Chris, and there was no response to their shouts. Because Rose Lake is isolated and were several years prior to cell phones, the two had to leave the park a third time, finding a payphone to call the Temple home. They reached Chris's father, John Temple, He told the boys he would be right there, and he also contacted the police department to report that his 17-year-old son was lost at Rose Lake. Just after 1 a.m. on Monday the 23rd, John Temple, accompanied by his wife, came to the Rose Lake Wildlife Area. They were joined by Officer Molnar of the Department of Natural Resources and Officer Wilson of the Bath Township Police Department, as well as Deputy Tim Smith of the Sheriff's Department. After performing a search of the area without finding any sign of the missing teen, a canine unit was called in. Michigan State Police Trooper Martin arrived with his dog, Sisko, and used some of Christopher's clothing from the temple home to get a scent. I should point out that it's now closing in on three in the morning. It is pitch black outside. One of the draws of going to Rose Lake for their bonfire was the exceptional stargazing in the night sky because of a lack of lighting in the area. When daylight arrived, a helicopter was brought in to aid in the search for Chris. Law enforcement and canine search teams scoured the area all morning, finally calling off the search at noon. In the small hours of the morning, a bolo was issued for Christopher Allen Temple, seven, one 130 pounds, dark hair, hazel eyes, wearing jeans, a Pink Floyd t-shirt beneath a denim jacket, and New Balance brand running shoes. Boats were brought into the area to search Potter Lake, Mud Lake, and Rose Lake. Each of these lakes are inside the Rose Lake Research Center, but there was no sign of him. Chris Temple was gone. Chris Temple wasn't having a particularly good school year, Back in August of 1989, he'd been arrested for quote, larceny over $100. This case was out of East Lansing, where he lived and attended school. As for school, it really wasn't his thing. He struggled with attendance, being chronically absent or tardy. After the arrest, he switched from East Lansing High School to an alternative program at Hazlitt Adult Education. Hazlitt is a community to the east of East Lansing, and the program was less than five miles from his house. The press spoke with his teachers at Hazlitt after he went missing, and teachers reported that Chris earned good grades and that he was an easygoing kid. At 17, Chris Temple did not have a driver's license, nor did he have access to a vehicle. I haven't been able to determine why he wasn't driving yet, but not all teens are interested in or prepared to take the wheel at 16. Chris seemed content with walking wherever he needed to go. Chris was sentenced to probation for the larceny and assigned to a probation officer, Judy Spencer. She was overseeing his case and helped him access a substance abuse program to work on his marijuana and alcohol usage. I bring this up because it's related to his state of mind at the time of his disappearance. It's not uncommon for teens to experiment with drugs and alcohol. However, It appears that Chris was struggling and needed support to get himself in a better place. Part of his probation involved doing community service, and Chris did that at the Hazlitt YMCA. The Y was located directly between his house and the alternative education program he attended. While working at the Y, he was liked by his supervisor and became friendly with one of his co-workers, Christina. Christina would tell law enforcement that Chris was sober for much of April, and he was trying to work his program and get right. When he vanished, police spoke with everyone who knew Chris, from the four guys he was with at Rose Lake to his parents, siblings, and school friends. Chris was a loner. He didn't have a big circle of friends. He didn't date, he didn't drive, and he didn't hold a job until it was required that he do the community service. Although, Chris's parents owned a shoe store in East Lansing, and I imagine he helped out at the store when they needed him. Bath Township Police worked the disappearance. They spoke with everyone they could. When they talked with the four that were with him that night at Rose Lake, Nate, Matt, Alan, and Justin, police compared their stories, looking for discrepancies, but everyone agreed on how the night played out. The only real exception was that they reported Chris's level of intoxication differently. Some thought he was just drunk. Others claimed he was, quote, highly intoxicated and, quote, spaced out. They all agree that Chris had smoked pot and consumed alcohol that Sunday afternoon and evening. They also all agreed that he was quiet and reserved, even more than was usual for him. Finally, they all agreed that about nine o'clock, Chris stood up, possibly said something that was not overheard and walked into the darkness, down a two-track and away from the group. I want to be clear here, in handling Chris's disappearance, Bath Township appears to have done everything right. They brought in dogs and choppers to search the area where he was last seen. They requested support from the state police, the sheriff's department, and the Department of Natural Resources who held jurisdiction over Rose Lake. On Wednesday, April 25th, Chris's friends and classmates searched the park but came away empty handed. The Michigan State Police performed another aerial search of Rose Lake on April 27th, but it did not reveal any clues. Bath Township Police spoke with everyone close to Chris, interviewing them, trying to get a feel for Chris's state of mind. Was he depressed? Did he talk about running away? Did he have special places, secret places that he liked to hang out? The answer was generally no. Chris didn't travel much. The only place they knew of that he'd gone was Ann Arbor, which was 70 miles southeast of his home, but he didn't know anyone there to crash with. There was some talk once of him going to Florida, but he really didn't know anyone down there either. April turned to May, bringing both Chris's 18th birthday and Mother's Day it was an exceptionally difficult time for the Temple family. They were able to offer a $2,500 reward for information about his case, which helped keep his story in the press. Sadly, news coverage of Chris's disappearance basically ended by June 1st of 1990. The news cycle had moved on, and without any new information, there wasn't much to report. When Bath Township ran down all their leads, the Temples hired a private investigator to look into their son's whereabouts. When the first investigator did all that he could, they hired a second one to work the case. The Temple family loved Chris, and they were worried about him and wanted him back, home and safe with his family. The private investigator and Bath Township police worked together on the investigation with a shared goal of bringing Chris home. There wouldn't be a break in the case until October of 1991, 18 months after he vanished. On October 23rd, hunters at Rose Lake discovered a man's athletic shoe. The shoe, a New Balance brand size eight and a half with a quadruple E width, matched the shoes that Chris Temple was wearing when he disappeared. A second search of the area was planned for October 26th, 1991 and during that search, a second shoe was recovered. The locations where the shoes were found are areas that had been searched previously. The appearance of the shoes created another mystery for investigators. The shoes were found in different areas of Rose Lake, and remember, by Rose Lake, I mean the Rose Lake Research Area, not the lake itself. The shoes were found approximately 400 yards from the site of the campfire, also recovered during the second search were two rather unsettling items. First, they found two clumps of long strawberry blonde hair and eight spent 22 caliber shell casings. There is a firing range at Rose Lake, and the area is often used for hunting, so the shell casings don't concern me too much. The hair. The hair is bizarre. Apparently, there was a lot of it. The newspapers report that there was, quote, enough to fill two by 10 envelopes. The hair was recovered about 100 yards north of the location where the second shoe was found. These items were taken back to the police department for processing, but I don't believe they were ever connected to Chris's case. In the fall of 1992, reports arrived from Austin, Texas, of a young man who could be Chris Temple. The man's name was Lafon's Brown, and he was working at a local seafood restaurant. Austin police investigated, and much to the disappointment of the Temple family, it was determined that the young man was not Chris. In the summer of 1993, Chris Temple, or someone who looked a lot like him, was spotted in Florida. A friend of the family saw someone they thought was Chris at the Shell restaurant in Sarasota, This tip was passed on to the private investigator handling the case, and he, in turn, called the Sarasota Sheriff's Department, asking them to investigate. The Sheriff's Department didn't follow up because the request didn't come from law enforcement. The private investigator went to the Bath Township Police, who responded with a detailed LEAN message, that's Law Enforcement Information Network message to a lieutenant in the Sarasota Sheriff's Department requesting assistance in checking out the tip. Sadly, by the time they looked, they couldn't find the person in question. While it could have been Christopher Temple, they weren't sure. A Sarasota area psychic raided in on the case, providing her information to the Temple family, law enforcement, and the private investigator's office. She envisioned Chris meeting up with two people in the park, two people that meant him harm. One had long hair and a bandana. One of the men wore boots, the other high-top athletic shoes. About the same time as the psychic gave her report, Bath Township Police Chief Jack Phillips revealed there was a tip about a car with out-of-state license plates in the area that evening. In November of 1993, Christopher Temple's file was set aside. It wasn't closed, but without new information regarding Chris's disappearance, there was little that could be done. Bath Township police had run down every lead. There was nothing new to go on, no new avenues to explore. Chris's story became one of rumor, an urban legend. 1995 opens another chapter in this strange case. A tip came in rumors about a shooting in the Bath area back in 1990. Could the story being told involve the murder of Chris Temple? When police ran down the lead, the alleged shooter was ruled out as he would have been only 13 years old at the time of Temple's disappearance. He wasn't likely to have made it out to the Rose Lake Research Area to shoot someone while not being seen or heard by Temple's companions that night. However, the people involved in this story, both the teller of the story and the person who heard the story and reported it to the police, they were apprehensive about cooperating. And the teller of the story, after consulting with his lawyer, refused to take a polygraph. In 1997, another lead came in, this time from a jailhouse informant. He claimed that he was drinking at a local bar with an acquaintance who told him a story about Chris Temple. This person said that Chris Temple was, quote, taken care of. He said that Chris met with foul play, and it was intentional. The informant asked the acquaintance to show him where Chris was buried, and the two went for a drive. Unfortunately, both the informant and his acquaintance were very drunk, and aside from riding past Pregoris Park— a location we will visit in an upcoming episode, he cannot recall where they ended up, but the driver pulled to the side of the road and pointed over there, implying that was where Chris Temple's remains could be located. The informant told police they were too drunk to exit the car and enter the woods where Chris was supposedly buried. He was certain, though, that they were not near Rose Lake. The name of the acquaintance was one that police were familiar with, and it was someone they'd spoken to about Temple's disappearance, but little information was forthcoming. Either he wasn't involved, or he'd covered his steps so thoroughly that nothing could be found. By 1998 john temple who was not a wealthy man had spent tens of thousands of dollars on investigators search teams psychics and other avenues in the hopes of finding his child what could have happened to chris i'd like to explore some of the theories surrounding the case did chris meet with foul play at the hands of the people he was with there were five young men there that night aged 16 to 25 Could one or more of them have ganged up on Chris and killed him? Concealing his body somewhere, perhaps in one of the bogs, and later dumping his shoes in the park? This can't be ruled out. We need to ask, though, what would be the motive to kill Chris Temple? That he kept some of the marijuana they bought for the group to use for himself? Chris was known to pinch a bit of pot out of bags he bought for others, but is that really a motive to kill him? In a 1998 piece in the Lansing State Journal, his father, John Temple, put forth that exact theory, that Chris went to the park with his friends where they met up with a person or persons who were angry at Chris, quote, I've had people tell me that Chris was killed over a $20 drug sale. In the years since Chris Temple disappeared, one of the other boys at the park that night would likely have spoken up about their involvement or knowledge of a murder, 25 years is a long time for people to keep a secret, and I did some digging on social media, and it appears that at least two of the four who left Rose Lake that night are still in contact with one another. Chris Temple was not known as a troublemaker or known for getting into fights. He was quiet, solitary, and from his behavior, the only person he was hurting was himself with his substance abuse issues and school attendance issues alternatively chris was walking through the park and came across someone else who brought him harm but i can't make this one work if he met up with someone who meant to hurt him why not shout for help the park was empty and silent except for the campfire surely his friends would have heard him cry out or if someone else was in the area they would have been heard or seen I don't think Chris coming across a random third party in the park is a likely scenario. Another possibility is that Chris Temple used the outing on Sunday to disappear from his life. It's no secret that he was struggling, both with school and addiction. He told people that the best way for him to stay clean was to stay away from his friends, to just stay home. He was less than a month away from his 18th birthday. It's possible that he stepped away from the campfire and just kept going. Maybe it was him that the family friend spotted in Sarasota after all. I really like this theory, and it's the happiest resolution that I can find for the story. Chris Temple decided to strike out on his own and make his own way in the world. Now, almost 30 years later, he's in his mid-40s and enjoying his life somewhere, safe warm, loved, accepted. A source close to the investigation told me that at one point, Chris's social security number was active during the 1990s. Sadly, I also believe this is the least likely scenario. Because of his shoes. I know, but the social security number... It's possible that in the 90s, someone keyed in the wrong number, causing Chris Temple's number to be used when they really intended someone else's social security number. And again, the shoes. Chris wasn't carrying a backpack or a duffel bag when he walked away from the campfire. He didn't drive, nor did he have access to a vehicle, allowing him to stash items in the park to use later. If he walked away, it was impulsive and he wasn't prepared. While the weather was mild that week, sort of a perfect week of spring weather with highs in the 70s and lows in the 40s, it's those overnight lows that concern me. He was dressed in jeans and a t-shirt. Can you imagine walking around barefoot for any length of time in 40-degree weather, wearing only a denim jacket and a t-shirt? For my international friends, 40 degrees is 4 Celsius. Okay, it's not bitterly cold. But it's chilly, and you need to be properly attired. If Chris had gotten wet, perhaps stumbled into one of the marshes, lakes, or bogs that dot the Rose Lake Research Center, it wouldn't take long for him to become dangerously cold. So I can't see him getting very far without his shoes. Also, the shoes were found untied in areas of the park that had been searched previously. The shoes were not in good condition. They appeared to have spent the previous 18 months out in the Elements. But where were they for the year prior to the search? It seems unlikely that Temple would leave the area and return only to scatter his footwear in the park. So, how did the shoes get there? I'm sorry to say that my best guess is that Chris Temple remains somewhere in the Rose Lake Wildlife Area. He was using both marijuana and alcohol that night. If he'd been sober for a couple of weeks, like his coworker at the YMCA said, it's possible that the chemicals hit his body harder than he expected, causing him a medical crisis, and he wandered from the campfire into a remote area where he passed out, sleeping through the searches which lasted all night through the next morning. His scent, masked by campfire and somehow missed by the dogs, it's possible that Chris Temple never made it out of the Rose Lake research area. His body remains concealed in one of the lakes, bogs, or marshes. Roselight covers thousands of acres of land. The same scenario is possible if he took his own life that night or the next, but I can't imagine why he would take his shoes off prior to committing suicide. His disappearance really is puzzling, because it seems he vanished that night only to have his shoes appear in the park more than a year later, Both shoes were untied. His friends and family said that Chris didn't walk around with his shoes untied. He laced them up, so finding them untied leads to additional questions. Where is Chris Temple? Out on his own, enjoying a solitary life, or long deceased, his remains awaiting discovery somewhere on the grounds of what is now the Rose Lake State Wildlife Area. Chris's parents are still alive, but the years since his disappearance were not uneventful. His mother and father were involved in a terrifying hit-and-run car accident in 2011, where their car was struck head-on by another vehicle and pushed onto the railroad tracks. His mother exited the car easily, but his father's door was crushed and inoperable. If being struck by a hit-and-run driver wasn't bad enough... Their disabled vehicle came to rest on the railroad tracks with the train racing toward the intersection. Bystanders came to their rescue, pulling John Temple from the car and to safety just moments before the train struck, crushing it and dragging the vehicle a hundred yards down the track. Chris's mother wasn't injured in the accident, and his father sustained only a broken thumb. In 2015, John and Tani Temple wrote a letter to the editor of the Lansing State Journal. They asked the paper and the community to remember their son, to keep looking for him. Chris Temple is loved and missed, and his parents, along with his younger siblings, hope that he will someday make it back home. In an April 1998 story in the Lansing State Journal, John Temple says that he knows that his son is dead. Whether he met with foul play or if the marshy ground at Rose Lake swallowed him up, he may never know, but he will never stop looking for his child. The Bath Township Police Department is still investigating his case as new leads are generated. If you have information about the disappearance of Chris Temple, please contact the Bath Township Police Department. Even if you've spoken with them previously, Please do not assume that they have your information or your story about Chris Temple on file. Please make the call. You'll find contact information on our webpage and in the show notes. If you want to talk about your theory as to Chris Temple's disappearance, feel free to leave a comment on the website or join the discussion group on Facebook. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, you can email me, host at alreadygonepodcast.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Already Gone Pod or visit our webpage for sources and additional reading. That's alreadygonepodcast.com. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. I appreciate you listening and please be safe.